on episode 531 of the Waves of Tech, Dell Driver Updates, Olympic Coverage on Twitch, F-150 Lightning, and Pipeline Hack. You can find recent episodes of the podcast simply by heading over to thewavesoftech.com. Well, Steve, as we said at the top of this show, lots to talk about in the world of tech this week. And it's fun. It's always great to be back. Thank you to all of our audience listeners. We always appreciate you coming in and subscribing and tuning in and uh, giving us a follow. So um, what's new with you, Steve? There's one thing I'm really glad about, and that is even this little tiny community I live in, we weren't on the world news headlines because the Chinese rocket didn't land in my backyard. That's a good thing. It's a very good thing. The bad thing is we got to get our crap together and figure out this space junk stuff. It is. Yeah, I've heard the uh, the government's, uh, the Chinese government was r- highly criticized from NASA and I think the European Union as well um, with, with just their lack of design for for this uh, for this rocket, essentially, and, and how it was either going to land or how it was going to disintegrate through the atmosphere. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully the design in the future gets worked out because yeah, space junk is a big thing. It's a big, big hazard. That's with our stolen information anyway. They just don't know how to implement. It is what it is, right? Correct. Correct. And let's hop on over to the the topics of conversation for this week, episode 531. So real quickly, Steve, I want to kick off the show by, I was accidentally sent this link in a um, Microsoft Teams chat. And I was like, hey, this is a great topic to talk about on the Waves of Tech. And it's titled, it's from Engadget.com, of course, uh, titled Dell Driver Vulnerability Affects Hundreds of Millions of PCs. And the, Steve, the thing that caught my attention, I was reading this article, is that Dell has released a firmware update for a driver since, um, or they have been releasing a firmware update driver since 2009. And so they were issuing a patch for some of their models over 380, as I mentioned, going back to all the way to 2009. And what is that, 12 years, 13 years ago? Bad with math off the top of my head, but it's pretty incredible, Steve, that these companies are having to release firm, firmware update drivers, you know, <laughs> that, that could potentially affect hundreds of millions of PCs dating back to the 2009 era. And, you know, they, they've addressed the issue. They issued a security patch. This was according to Dell Security Advisory uh, update that they that they host on their website and that they, they uh, announced on social media. It really came down to five different vulnerabilities for the flaws uh, led to privilege escalation and one led to a, a DOS. And yeah, over 380 models affected Dell, I think, has an entire list over on their thing, but it ranges from from desktops to you know uh, their their latest Alienware and and Dell laptops as well. So you know, even if you own a Dell computer, according to Engadget, even no longer being supported, there's a good chance that it's on the list. So uh, of course, Dell did come out and say there's no real evidence to date of the vulnerability being exploited out in the, in the quote unquote wild. But at the same time, you know, it's it's always interesting to kind of look back, Steve, and see how much. How much vulnerability still exists out there with a lot of these old systems? And to be dating back to 2009, plus adding a patch for 380 models, that's a that's a quite a vulnerability for someone to have never one exploited, and two for at least the Dell engineers or somebody to at least have found these vulnerabilities and at least have patched them moving forward. There's a lesson here, Dave, and it's not because of Dell's incompetence. It's not because of anything derogatory. To me, this comes down to, honestly, how many people up or download and update firmware for their systems? Um, I, I don't know the percentage, but, but I, I would imagine it's relatively low unless there is a specific issue or problem somebody is having. 
especially when it comes to BIOS updates. Don't do any BIOS updates unless there's an emergency release of some time. Most firmware updates are really not going to have any advantages to you, but read the release notes before you install. Because for the general user, typically your operating system updates and, and those kinds of things are the ones people are familiar with. With, uh, for example, Dell updates, you either have to go to their website, put in your service tag, and look through the listings of various updates, not just drivers, but any kind of firmware updates, or you have to run the utility that a lot of Dells come with that will then tell you what kind of updates there are. Typically, they are minor in nature, and to be honest with you, you don't need them. But so this is kind of twofold. It's kind of interesting that... Uh, it's been this long since somebody said, hey, we have stopped the train. We have some issues here and you're making things worse. Dell got caught, but they all have these kind of issues, vulnerabilities, in the closet secrets uh, within companies when it comes to driver's firmware and those kinds of things. I have a lot of customers on, on Dell systems. And if, if the organization requires that they run the have the Dell uh, update utility installed. I always get a call when there's any kind of an update. Steve, uh, I just got a notification. Should I download it or not? Well, I prefer they don't even get those notifications. I'll monitor things. And as uh, I see an immediate need for some kind of update, then, then I will do the appropriate response for those systems. Yeah. It, you know, it's kind of sad, Dave, that uh, in the world of extreme hacking, extreme vulnerabilities, that after all these years that uh, they still don't have their shit together. Let's just put it that way. Actually, Steve, it was brought to the attention through Sentinel Labs and you, you can find more just by, you know, typing in Bing or Google about them. And, you know, they were kind of born out of the idea of, you know, trying to solve some of the the gap security that that's going on, you know, between like enterprise and sort of understanding the significance of a lot of these these different patches and a lot of these issues. And so when they, they actually published a report on their website, just with a brief executive summary about discovering the flaws and, you know, things that, you know, dating back to 2009. And, you know, so it's a really good read. And, and we'll, again, have a link over at thewaysoftech.com to to support um, what they're doing over there. But it's really interesting to kind of look and see how many people are actually fully invested in the tech industry, trying to comb through and figure out all these vulnerabilities. It's, it's pretty incredible. So... Well, Steve, one really interesting and fun thing that's actually going to be coming to the Summer Olympics is that NBC is actually going to bring some Olympic Games coverage over to Twitch. And now this is not going to be being able to watch the opening ceremonies on Twitch. It's not going to be really much of any of the live sports that's going to be on the Twitch channel. But what NBC is doing is that they're going to be providing sort of these supplemental feeds and these supplemental content during the during the Olympic Games, which was set to take place, of course, in Tokyo last summer after being delayed due to COVID-19 pandemic, which is still going on. And there's, there's a lot of honest concern from uh, the Japanese government and a lot of athletes that are traveling is, is it still a safe and appropriate time to do this? And so that, that, that's another question regarding public health and travel and safety. But what they're going to be doing is based on this Olympic Twitch channel, and that's easy, uh, twitch.tv slash NBC Olympics is a really easy way to get over there. But what they're going to be doing, they're going to be bringing daily highlight shows. They're going to be bringing different athlete interviews as well as some Olympics-themed game gaming competitions. You know, obviously it is Twitch. They they, they are known for streaming gaming competitions and in live gaming. So it's going to be pretty interesting, Steve. They're going to be trying to 
try and reproduce some of the passion and competition of the games by adding just a little bit of more talent, a little bit more features over on that Twitch channel. So as I mentioned, it's going to be trying to be as interactive as possible. Uh, streamers and viewers can work together and they can keep on a virtual Olympic torch, you know, sort of uh, fun situation over there. And then they can like virtually like the cauldron on opening ceremonies day. There's a, there's a lot of cool things, but see what I'm looking forward to is, you know, part of the Olympic Games is one cheering on your nation wherever wherever you wherever you're from, following the games, but also getting to know some of these athletes uh, behind the scenes and trying to figure out, you know, uh, you know what's going on, what are they prepared for, what are you know, there's so many things. And these daily highlight shows is a great thing because just because of the time gap, there's not always an opportunity for you to watch everything live. And then um, sometimes you have other obligations. So this highlight show that they're going to have on Twitch could be a really good option to sort for one for NBC to start building up a presence over on Twitch because you can really do this really with any of your sporting coverage if you really wanted to um, bring, bring a little bit more initiative and a little bit more creativity over to Twitch. So I think it's pretty cool. It's it's something I think it's not going to be for every viewer um, or every fan of the Olympics games. It's just one of those, hey, if you want a little bit more than what NBC coverage is giving you, head over to Twitch. Cool part, you can subscribe. All the videos will be hosted over there for you to consume later. So it's not like you have to catch the stuff alive, but it's just, it'll be nice just you know, see another place to start building sort of an audience and a membership base over there. So I, I think it's a pretty cool idea what NBC is doing over there. I find it interesting that they're using an, an Amazon platform instead of perhaps one of their own. Um, they do own a, a mega online platform uh, at NBC, but I, I guess currently that's where the young uh, individuals are. Interesting about the Olympics because where do you reach that overload point? Because certainly primetime will be on NBC. You also have NBCSN, their their sports networks. Um, you also have, it'll be on CNBC and, and all those affiliate channels that they're associated with, with different kinds of content. As over the years, Dave, we have had discussions about traditional media versus online content now. Uh, where is your preference? And we have to start remembering that some people don't even have cable or TV or satellite and everything's online. So how do they get this content? And what you're bringing up, I think, is very important, too. It's it's an alternative because certainly if you watch the primetime broadcasts, it's only about the most favored sports or events, whether it's track or whatever. And they'll show every stinking preliminary, but in other sports within the Olympics, they might not show uh, any of it, even finals, because it's just not as that kind of a popular sport. As where I'm hoping you can go and view that kind of information, that kind of content in a different light, in a different way, at least have it available. So I guess for the Olympics, you can't have enough tentacles, Dave, uh, just like any major kind of event. I think NBC has always done a great job uh, with the Olympics. And I look forward to it. I hope it happens. Summer Olympics are one of my favorite things that there is. Really disappointing last year. And hopefully we'll get it off this year before we're running Summer Olympic Games simultaneously. Yeah, that's hopefully that does not happen. But yeah, you, you given the situation, who knows? But yeah, one final thought on here, Steve, is that 
They're also going to be including a little bit more interactive elements. I had mentioned, you know, streamers and viewers can work together to keep a virtual Olympic torch lit. You know, they can collect items, this and that. They're also going to be creating some more interactive elements as as the highlight shows that I mentioned previously. They're going to have polls, they're going to have Q&As. And so it's really going to be an opportunity to really start engaging with the audience and the individuals that are genuinely curious in what's going on. So I think that should be cool. The one thing I'm not hearing is who's going to be the talent behind the mic or the screen that's going to be doing these highlight shows. I think that could be a real draw depending on who you put behind the camera. So if, if it's maybe some past athletes, maybe it's some well-known commentators, who knows? Maybe they have a new crop of individuals that are coming up. But I, I think you know, trying to position all those things should be should be really unique. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think I'll probably, I don't use Twitch that much, but I could, uh, I'm probably going to head over there and just hit subscribe just so that I'm part of it and I get some notifications when they go live because I love the Olympics. I love hearing all these international stories. It's just not from here in the US, but it's hearing just everybody's ups and downs and trials and tribulations to get there and all the success. So I, I look forward to what's coming this year. And, and I'm glad to see that Twitch is on, is getting some, NBC and Twitch are, are teaming up to provide a lot of this dedicated channel work. Yeah, I'm sure Twitch is not doing it for free, right? <laughs> There's Definitely not. Big deal. So more more money for uh, Bezos' uh, new yacht. You see this yacht he's having built? No, my invitation must have got lost in the mail. Yeah, I was down there checking it out. And um, yeah, it's a new $500 million yacht. And the rescue boat from this yacht is so big. is actually another yacht, just smaller. So um, I guess if you got it, spend it, right? What the heck? Well, Dave, there was an announcement today that uh, coming up on May 19th at uh, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Ford is going to unveil the F-150 Lightning. And today was actually the first day. It's been pretty good secret. We actually see the, the badging of the vehicle that says Lightning. I always knew or kind of had a, an idea that Ford was going to come out with a, an electric truck. And what better lineup than the F-150 because it is the most popular half-ton truck in the world. I, I I kind of battled my head between the Ford Ranger and the 150, but um, it's probably a good move because it is uh, in the eyes of, of so many people. So we have a, a few vehicles going down this path. Of course, it's been, I don't know, maybe almost two years since Tesla introduced their version of an electric truck. A lot of that is kind of uh, the talk has died out, Dave. I don't hear too much about it anymore, uh, probably because there's so many other things going on. But I guess here comes the conversation of is this sellable or not? And in pre-show, you and I had uh, a brief discussion on, hey, I just want something to get me across town or I need to haul a load of hay or fill in the blank. I think so many people today buy these lighter truck models, the half-ton models, actually as, how do I want to say that? Not necessarily because it's a truck, I should say. It is their transportation, just like a car. And in case they need to haul groceries or a couch or something, that, that capability is there. And I guess I could see a market in this this half ton lineup uh, as where I don't in the three quarter and one ton vehicles that really need the more massive diesel type engines for, for really hauling. So it'll be interesting. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what it looks like. I guess, Dave, maybe one day if that Tundra ever dies, uh, you could look at one of these for whatever the price is going to be. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're mentioning 
our pre-show conversation and yes, it's not that I'm actively looking for a new truck, right? My, my truck is 20 years old. It's, it's perfectly great condition. It's got really low miles. Great. Perfect. As you were saying, I simply have my truck out of utility. I don't like to drive a truck. It's not my preferred option of a vehicle, but I've had it because I need it. I'm a house owner. I, I can bring my recycling in it. I can help people move stuff. I can move things on my own. I don't have a trailer hitch on there, but if I ever needed to, I can get that hooked up and have an extended trailer part of it. I just have it as a matter of convenience. And I think that's what you're talking about is I don't want to... And unfortunately, this is where it comes. If, if I'm going to upgrade a truck to another truck, my first option would be, let's look at what the electric options are out there. But I also don't want to drop 60, 70, 80 grand on a electric prototype sort of thing. You know, you mentioned the Cybertruck, which I think actually doesn't go into production until 2022 with the first ones rolling off of uh, Tesla's line by 2023. So that's probably why we haven't heard much about it. Now there's a bunch of pre-orders placed like last, I don't know, October, sometime last year. But it's difficult to see because I want to be able to upgrade. I want to look at electric or hybrid truck options. But until more vehicles get out there on the roads and competition and, you know, uh, technology and battery power and all these things become more consistent and more fluid and, you know, you, you can learn how to use this battery uh, pack more efficiently, I'm going to be holding off, you know. And so that kind of puts me in an interesting spot. Do I, you know, look for a regular diesel or truck, uh, gasoline truck? for the interim before these prices go down, you know, so it's, there's it's a lot of different things you can go in your head. But I think Steve, what this does is you're perfectly right for this half ton vehicle. It's the perfect model. It's the perfect size, right? And all this is going to do is set the stage for the next move that Ford is going to make. If they can make it work in the F-150 line, which you said is the world's most popular truck lineup ever. If they can make it work with the F-150s, you know they're going to be pushing towards a 250 and they're going to push towards a 350. Yes, you're going to have some significant improvements to make both in capacity and storage and recharge for a lot of these hybrid, you know, fully electric trucks, especially if you like you, if you're hauling, if you're hauling uh, toy trailers, if you're hauling regular trailers, fifth wheels, whatever it is, but you can you can totally see where this is going. We started in small cars. Now we've gone to mid-sized cars. Now we've gone to mid-sized SUVs. Now you're starting to see them in trucks. So eventually this technology is going to grow and become more robust. And so, whereas I absolutely 100% love the idea that F-150 is uh, is bringing their lightning you know, sort of technology in their name to this to this brand. It's going to be interesting to see where, one, the price tag comes out, the look of it. And I think that's, Steve, where a lot of these manufacturers have gone away from trying to make these electric vehicles look like something different. They just need to look like a vehicle. You know, hybrids and Priuses, they made their splash. Okay, that just looks a little weird, but it still looks like a car, right? My hybrid still looks like every other SUV out there. And that's what it looks like. So I think you have to stick with what's a known quantity, and that's the design and the look and the feel of a vehicle. And you can start incorporating battery power and, you know, hybrid technology into those. But I'm really looking forward to this. I'm glad to see that Ford has kind of dipped their toe in it. It's interesting as they've been developing their electric vehicle line, one of the slower manufactured, I'd say, to the electric vehicle chase into the market. But it's it's it, it's it's really interesting to see exactly where this technology is going to go in the next 5, 10, 15 years. There's absolutely a place for this. It's probably a good mid-market to be in. You know what, what I do with mine, Dave. I mean, I have a, a, a F-350 dually four-wheel drive with a big 6.7 diesel. And you know what I haul. And I can't imagine trying to pull the Tatchby grade with an electric vehicle. 
I, I just don't see it happening without having a recharging station every 50 feet. It just doesn't have that kind of capacity. And if we look a little farther, uh, this state that we're in, I forget which year it is, they are going to ban diesel engines from this state. So where does that leave the trucking industry? People that travel with trailers, and we can go on down the list, I'm not sure. I guess here is the starting point with Ford finally bringing something to market. Don't quote me. I think they're going to be first to the market with this kind of a vehicle. I think it's going to be interesting. I could see me using one of these as a around town kind of thing that you were talking about. I think it's a perfect situation for that. But in terms of truck hauling, we are not there. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely not there, both in battery capacity. I mean, we just talked about last week with GM took t- taking nine nine months to figure out a battery fire issue, you know, and that was just in an SUV that or that was in a that was in a uh a standard vehicle size, you know, let alone something like of the 250, you know, 350 capacity. So yeah, I think we're a long ways off from that. But again, we've seen steady progress over the year. And if, if anybody I think can make a splash in the the truck industry, it's going to be Ford. I mean, we, we, we know Hummer is coming out with their electric vehicle option, still 130 grand or something like that. And I believe GM was also making one but we know that Amazon's been diving into, I think, Rivian, and so they're going to buy a bunch of those, but that's purely designed around a, an electric vehicle company. So, I mean, there is there is little splashes, there is little, you know, little blips here and there that's going on in the industry. So, it's I think it's just a matter of time, Steve, when it goes from car to SUV to truck, and we'll see where it goes from there. I think that's a... Uh continuing thing that we always have to to talk about is we'll see where it goes from here because that's just the way tech is dave that there's the capabilities of doing certain things but we don't know the resultants yet and so we have to keep our finger and and a pulse on it to see if it is viable or not and sometimes it is sometimes it isn't Um, how many times have uh, you looked at new releases from ces and it's either a hit or you don't hear about it ever again a lot of whoopla, but it never comes to fruition or to market. So, Dave, I I honestly hate talking about these things. And if there is one thing in my industry and in my business that honestly keeps me awake at night, it is ransomware. It is the fiercest, most destructive type of cyber attack there is. I will deal with almost any kind of vulnerability issue, malware except ransomware. It is absolutely devastating. And you honestly don't know if you have your your plans and your thoughts appropriately aligned until it happens and you have to implement the solution to recover. That's one of the sad things about it. It's very hard to, to test against those kinds of threats. Well, here in the U.S., one of the largest U.S. pipelines on the East Coast, which actually goes from Texas all the way up to, I believe, like Connecticut or somewhere up in there, New Jersey, um, is currently shut down because of a ransomware attack. It appears that this has come from a Eastern European hack group called, I, I, I forgot their name off the top of my head, uh, Dark Something. Do you know, Dave? No, I can't remember off the top of my head. I'll try and find it. So we're still learning more about this. The Pretty much every governmental agency there is is involved. Here is the lessons that aren't even out yet, and that is you can never be prepared enough. You can never let your guard down. These infrastructures are incredibly vulnerable. 
this group had to know exactly what they were going after. And if they knew these kind of limitations to securities in the management of this system, why didn't we? I think sometimes we're our own worst enemy. The pipeline is still down, which certainly is going to cost an incredible rise in fuel costs. But more importantly, what are we as, as nations, as a world, as a society going to finally do about these despicable acts from hacking? Whether it's state-sponsored or not, to me, is immaterial. It is a disruption of business. It's a disruption of life. It is a destruction of personal protection and health when, when related to uh, hospitals. And I find it a very vile thing to do. And I really get disgusted by it. So here we have a massive uh, ransomware attack, Dave, attempting to restore, get back online. What is going to be done post-mortem? Who knows? Is it going to be diplomatic? Uh, is it going to be sanctioned? Or is it going to be brushed down under the table like so many other things do? How does the government assist us in business in protecting ourselves? There has to be methods that we can go down the road and implement to assist in protecting our means of life. So this is still an ongoing situation, Dave, which happened over this past weekend. It makes me sick to my stomach because I've been through three of these and they are not fun and hope to God that they can get it back online really soon. Yeah, this always turns my stomach a little bit when you, especially when you when you understand that this this uh, pipeline, the Colonial Pipeline, transports more than 100 million gallons of gasoline and fuel daily. You know, as you said, from Houston all the way up to the New York Harbor, and it even turns inland a little bit um, to to the midwestern portion of the United States through Tennessee and a few other states like that. But yeah, Steve, you had mentioned the 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 criminal group is actually originating from from Russia. They're called Darkside, and I think that was the 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 group you're looking for. Um, they've the FBI at least confirms that Darkside ransomware is responsible for uh, compromising the the pipeline and it, and their entire networks. The FBI said in a statement that they continue to work with the company and our government partners on the investigation and according to what was posted on the dark web. And of course, I don't go onto the dark web, but there's a Plenty of reports out there that can share that information, but Darkside said that their motivation was completely apolitical and really just simply a financial decision. They they are saying that there was no, um, it was, it, they're they're really claiming it was only to make money and claiming it did not carry an attack on behalf of a foreign government. So that was according to a cyber counterintelligence firm that was cited in the CNN.com article. But yeah, Steve it is you know Darkside typically targets non-Russian speaking countries. This is what another uh, former senior cyber official told CNN last week. And so it's it's really interesting. This dark side is a relatively new ransomware group that's that's been uh, cropping up. Uh, they are fairly aggressive, ac- according to another report, and they've grown very quickly. And so, you know, based on the price tag that you put on a ransomware, you could grow exponentially, you know, uh, day after day, week after week, if you were to do that. So yeah, t- I, th- I think, Steve, what it really highlights again, right, is that as well protected as we think we are, there are so many cybersecurity vulnerabilities out there, right? And we have, you know, we have some failing infrastructure here in the United States. And some of that could be around cyber infrastructure, you know, cybersecurity infrastructure. And so just kind of looking at 
the energy infrastructure we have, how it's being aged, how properly you can have software and how you can roll out updates and protectives, uh, protections out there. It's just a conversation that needs to be had both at the federal government, the state level, and also the obligation of these private corporations to make sure that their networks are safe. You know, maybe that comes in the form of some government assistance uh, to make these things more robust, but it is ultimately their responsibility to make sure that their systems are completely safe. And so I would expect a lot of it to, to fall to them, but also to coordinated some effort along with the federal government and a lot of the cybersecurity officials, in, you know, how many different agencies we have in the United States surrounding, uh, surrounding cybersecurity. But yeah, it's, I, I don't like to talk about these things, as, as you said, but it's a, it's a true and it's a, it's an eminent threat here. And we continue to get targeted, whether it's been hospitals or pipelines or other corporations. It's just a sheer fact. It's always going to be here. And the more we can invest, the more we can figure these things out, the more we can provide some funding. I think the safer overall our network and our infrastructure can be. As I always say, Dave, there's only one way to be safe on the internet, and that's not beyond the internet. If you're concerned about those vulnerabilities or the impacts, uh, pull the plug. Dave, it's um, kind of interesting that the evolution of operating systems, especially in the Windows world, sometimes have a lot of legacy code legacy graphics still tucked away within inside these operating systems and new operating systems never get a total refresh. Well, a Windows 10 is an example. Now, Windows 10 has been around, I think, since 2015 now, although it's gone through many iterations. This still contains a lot of legacy code, legacy information that over time they've attempted to, to scrub out, but they've and rightfully so, have been working mostly within the uh, security and the utility operating of Windows 10. So that's where you get most of the um, update informations in relation to. You may not notice it in Windows 10. I see it um, frequently because I'm in kind of the, let's call it the the back lot of Windows um, when I'm doing certain things um, in that operating system. And many of the icons, for example, have not been refreshed since Windows 95. And I know it's not a priority, but building upon even the visualization of an operating system, I think is incredibly important to let the user have an impact visually to go, oh, wow, they, they have really made some nice changes here or whatever the case may be. So around October of this year, they are going to be making uh, refreshes based on um, graphics and the overall user experience when it comes to Windows 10. Now, this is not a startling news break or anything like that, but certainly I think since um, 1995, we could have done some of these items progressively perhaps. But I also think there is a concern, Dave, about where Apple is going. Apple is very good at that impact visually. Every time there's a new operating system, whether it's on a phone, a tablet, or, or on a Mac, it's graphically appealing with their new chipsets. They're going to be able to do all kinds of new things too. So I think they don't have a choice but to uh, to get ready. We'll see what happens in October, Dave. 
It's always good to kind of dive into, Steve, because I don't always look at the visual updates in a lot of these operating systems. You know, I just kind of go 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 amongst my day, you know, and if, if I see something randomly, I'm like, oh, that looks a little different. Maybe I haven't noticed it before, you know, not thinking that perhaps Microsoft did a, you know, a twice annual uh, kind of update on these things, but it, it will be you know, Windows does periodically give visual updates. And this is something that, thanks to you sharing this, I've been able to learn uh, things I'll be able to keep out for. You know, they've been changing up, like constantly changing, like the recycle bins, the start menu, some uh, some of the colors associated with that, taskbar icons, a lot of the more prominent items that you usually look at every day. And as you mentioned, just like under the hood, things really just haven't changed. And there's a couple screenshots. We'll have a link to the CNN article uh, in, in our show notes over at thewadestech.com. But yeah, a lot of these these older icons are just static. They've been like that since 95. And I think there's a bit of nostalgia that goes there. But I think you're, I think you're right, Steve, is that you know it's clearly time to make some of these updates. Uh, these twice annual tweaks you know, aren't really doing much from like an appeal perspective. And I think one of the big pushes, you know, and, and in this article, the 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 journalist uh, David Goldman actually came out and said, you know, PC is back on the consumer radar, right? A lot of these individuals due to COVID-19 have shifted back to work. And, you know, going from a, uh, you know, a commercial enterprise workspace to home, now is the chance for Microsoft to kind of capitalize on that, right? And, you know, start aiming towards specific audiences, particularly a lot of the gamers, a lot of corporate customers, as I just mentioned, from this work from home era that's going to be brought on. And so productivity and look and visual appeal is all coming back again. And I think they really want to make sure that, you know, all their users as they experience a PC are getting the best experience possible. And user experience, Steve, is a huge thing right? It's all about appeal. It's all about look. It's all about vibe. It's all about aesthetics, you know, and whether we think it is or not, it always plays into our ability to enjoy working with an operating system or dislike working with an operating system. So I think visually, aesthetics, dynamic designs, um, a lot of these visual updates are critically important, I think, for Microsoft. And, you know, they, they probably go it, obviously it flies under the radar quite a bit, but it probably goes a lot farther in in our thought process than we actually do, you know? So Steve, I understand how so many people lost their minds when Microsoft Word changed the way it looks and the way it feels. I Hopefully icons don't throw people for a loop, you know, because uh, if you change an icon and people lose their minds, I think we're, we're in for a little uh, more concern here. But yeah, I, I think it's pretty cool that bringing up, man, 95, that's, that's ancient. Just to let something sit in the background and not evolve since then, pretty incredible. I can remember when I went up to Microsoft for the release of Windows 95 and when we first saw the first visual of Windows 95 using these icons, it was mind-blowing. It was overpowering. It was a thing of beauty. But look where we've come. Kind of the same thing. Uh, and people don't remember what icons looked like on the iPhone. And then iOS 7 came out and changed the whole game on the visual representation of the iPhone. Cosmetically, they they are important, especially over time. Pretty comical, but um, you know, we, we learn to deal with it because don't most people, when they're looking for an app on their computer, Dave, recognize the app by the icon, not by the descriptive title? 100%. Yep. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So if you change it too drastically, especially for those common items, you're going to have problems. So... Interesting that um, they're actually going to go for this, but I think they're going to have to. 
Yeah, I think thinking back to logos real fast, Steve, is that Microsoft essentially set the stage for our interpretation of what logos mean, right? Like you see a blank white with a little fold in the corner, you know that's a new document. Like universally, you see that sign and you know exactly what they're doing. You see a globe with a little swoosh around it, you know exactly what that is. You're like, oh, I'm going to browse the internet. You throw up a little mouse on the screen or uh, like uh, a unit with like a CD on top. You know exactly what that means, right? And so they have their own language and their own interpretation. I think universally, those Microsoft has done well. They've supplanted that into our sort of our our visual vocabulary, right? You know what a folder looks like. You you know exactly what to kind of click on. And whereas the recycling bin has changed year after year, you've still always had what that looks like. And so I think uh, aesthetically, they have really set the stage for what these little icons for. You know what a printer looks like. You know what this. And so I, I think they've really changed the game when it comes to to language and, and visuals when it comes to a computer, which I think is 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 mightily important for I think how a lot of us process and look at operating systems today. To be honest with you, I have more problems in my life than what an icon looks like. That's true. It is what it is, and we're going to see them. Well, Steve, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Waves of Tech. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in to episode 531. You can find recent episodes simply by heading over to thewavesoftech.com. And of course, be sure to come back next week as Steve and I are going to be diving into more discussions. So for now, thanks for tuning in, and don't forget to keep on teching.